Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation. Coming at you live from downtown Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. And it's a pleasure to be back. I was out last week. And um, if you missed the show, I would recommend it to you. The great Dave Mandel, longtime WFMU DJ, guest hosted and did a really interesting interview with cryptography expert Perry Metzger. They were talking about, among other things, uh, cryptocurrencies and some of the deep and urgent and, to use Perry Metzger's word, catastrophic flaws in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And I was happy as I listened to the interview to find that I agreed with just about everything that Perry Metzger said. (laughs) Uh, And I learned some things, too. I mean, it's not like I knew all of it going in uh, because I'm I'm not a subject matter expert in in cryptography or cryptocurrencies. So it was nice to learn from Perry Metzger, and I appreciate Dave Mandel uh, putting it all together. I do feel like maybe Perry Metzger is a little more optimistic about the future of cryptocurrencies than I am. I just think that the structure that we have set up in the economy is not likely to produce a positive uh, outcome with the next algorithmic stablecoin or whatever it is, is going to be the next innovation. I think we're, we're more likely to see more of the same uh, sorts of problems that we're getting from Bitcoin and Ethereum and NFTs. Oh my goodness, the NFTs and the apes, the bored apes and the slurp juice. I'm not going to get into all of that. We'll have to bring Perry back. Uh, either Dave Mandel or I can bring him back sometime and to get into a proper discussion of NFTs. Now, as Perry said, there are some possibilities that some of the problems will be worked out and there will be future cryptocurrencies that will be uh, less harsh on the environment, a lower carbon footprint um, <laughs> than the catastrophic size that Bitcoin has now and, uh, and other improvements to come possibly. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I go by the track record of cryptocurrency and what the lack of regulation does in that space and the lack of ethics of the of many of the leading players that, that are on display day after day. And you just think, do, do we really think this structure and this leadership is going to be able to turn this around magically? Uh, I mean, Call me a pessimist, but I, I just don't think so. I would love to be proven wrong, but I just don't think so. The reason I'm going on about this, about structural problems, is that it fits very well into this evening's theme. Um, and, and also, by the way, it's it, this is going to be a bit of a, uh, it could be a bit of a difficult episode because we're talking about some really uncomfortable things having to do with the uh, Buffalo shooting and some of the structural problems that help lead to that. So if you want a tectonic episode that is more fun and light and interesting, you can <laughs> it's fine if you would like to go back in the archives and find a, a different recent episode. There are several that are, uh, that are, if not fun, at least a little more light than what we're going to do this evening. And you can find the archives at WFMU.org, or you can go to the one-page site at tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H-tonic.fm. And, and just scroll through some of the recent episodes. The one with Paul Salapek was really good. He's walking across the world, and it's very inspiring. That would be one to listen to if, if you're just a little uncomfortable about diving into uh, the, the effects of white supremacy that we're going to be covering uh, this evening. And, and Tech's um, direct and or indirect um, complicity with what happened in Buffalo. So let's, let's just talk about this. Um, I don't have a guest, although I am going to be playing an excerpt from a recent episode of Democracy Now! with um, the, an interview with uh, Rashad Robinson from, from uh, Color of Change. But uh, I've, there's, there's a lot I want to get through, and I've posted a bunch on the playlist. And so, Liz, can we just talk through this? And we'll get to Rashad Robinson in, in a few minutes. What happened 
uh, this this occurred while I was out. I was out of town, uh, but I was following the news. And so this is my first opportunity now that I'm back to talk about it. Two Saturdays ago, a white supremacist uh, traveled uh, about 200 miles from elsewhere in New York State, traveled to Buffalo, a, uh, a mostly black area of Buffalo, and pulled out a gun and started firing. He targeted black people in the supermarket. He killed 10 people, almost all of whom were black. And um, along with the, the mass murder, he, he live-streamed it on Twitch. And this is going to become uh, an important detail I think you should know. If you don't know, Twitch is a streaming service that originally was for um, people who were playing games, video games, and they wanted to stream their video game. And so it would be a picture-in-picture. You could see their face as they were playing the game, and then the, the main picture would show you the video game itself. So that's Twitch. It got very, very popular, and so popular that what happens, what happens these days when a startup gets really popular, they get bought by big tech. And so the detail that I want you to hold in mind is that Twitch, the super popular streaming service, is owned by Amazon. It is, is, is Amazon. Okay, so when we say Twitch, we should really be saying Amazon Twitch. So uh, the mass murderer live streamed this uh, this incident in the in the supermarket uh, this massacre really in the supermarket he live streamed it on twitch and at the same time he released a 180 page racist screed with uh, that was littered with references to other mass murders we may get into those references in a little bit and drew on this um, this racist myth that goes under the the term replacement theory, that has been expounded on uh, certain cable news channels and other places. Uh, and so it was uh, the live stream of the massacre, and then this 180-page racist screed. What happened next uh, was, well, f- physically he was apprehended, and you've probably seen he's, he's in custody and he's entered a, a not guilty plea. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the, the murderer himself. I'm, I'm more interested in the structure of this whole system that led to this happening. This is not at all to let the murderer off the hook. It's just not my focus for, for this, this evening's uh, hour. Um, where was I headed with that? Twitch, uh, Twitch apparently only had 20 or so, maybe 22, I read somewhere, 22 viewers of the live stream. But inevitably, someone shared a video of the live stream onto Facebook. Now, Twitch claims, I should say Amazon Twitch claims that they turned off the live stream after uh, a minute or two, uh, relatively quick, if that's true, that is relatively quick. But that wasn't before, as I said, the 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 record, the video record of the massacre started to go viral on Facebook. And the New York Times, there's a New York Times tech reporter named Ryan Mack who posted, and this is on the playlist. If you go to wfmu.org, click playlist and comments, and you can see this is the uh, the image for this item uh, of of the show. Ryan Mack posted, quote. Not going to share screenshots, but the rate at which versions of the Buffalo video continue to proliferate on Facebook and Twitter is astonishing. We've been here before with Christchurch, and it continues to happen. The reference to Christchurch, you may know, but just to state, was another uh, white supremacist murder, a mass murder, at a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. This is from several years ago, and that was uh, live-streamed, I believe, on Facebook and uh, and went viral. So um, then Rashad Robinson, who we're going to hear from in a few minutes, president of Color of Change, responding to Ryan Mack, posted the following, quote, and th- this is a day after the massacre, Twitch took down the live stream of yesterday's white supremacist shooting in Buffalo in under two minutes. Meanwhile, the video is now on Facebook with 1.8 million views and they're not removing it because it, quote, doesn't violate their terms of service. Now, I do think that Facebook reversed that decision when they saw what a PR problem they had. Uh, and so I believe that Facebook finally, uh, after more than 24 hours, I think Facebook finally decided that uh, the viral footage of a white supremacist 
domestic terrorist incident, uh, mass murder, might, in fact, might violate their terms of service, even though it was comfortably going viral and making Facebook lots of money or, or lots of engagement metrics. Here I may be overstating it just a little bit, but not by much, because it took years uh, for Facebook to do anything meaningful around the Christchurch video that was going viral for a long time without Facebook doing anything. I think there is a multi-company uh, task force around domestic terror, or not domestic, but just terrorist uh, viral videos now, and they're still trying to figure out, Facebook slash Meta and these other companies are trying to figure out what to do about these terrible videos that keep going viral. I'm going to get to solutions later. I just find it interesting that years after the Christchurch live streaming, Facebook, with, with all of its resources, still hasn't figured out how to take down videos of people getting shot and killed on, on live video. They still haven't figured that one out. They figured out how to, how to uh, take down all sorts of other things. I mean, my goodness, say, say one thing wrong about a licensed uh, Star Wars character. Say something wrong about one of their brand partners. Uh, and you're liable to, uh, to get a nasty gram. Say something, there are all so many obscure little rules that you can run afoul of on Facebook and you can get flagged or taken down or, or put in, uh, put in uh, temporary inactivity. But a domestic terror, racist, mass murder going viral on Facebook, well, there's really nothing we can do. We're still working on it is what they say. Um, I'm going to get to I'm going to get back to the the technical infrastructure here in a second, but I I want to um, I want to quote someone. This is Brandy Collins Dexter. She's a senior research fellow at Harvard Shorenstein Center, and uh, the, she wrote something in the Guardian on uh, May 18, just a few days ago. This is called "How the Buffalo Massacre is Part of U.S. Tradition," and what I thought was interesting about what Brandy Collins Dexter wrote in The Guardian is she, she made a connection between the, 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 the long and terrible history of anti-black oppression here in, in the United States. She made a connection between that long history, as she says, a, a American tradition, and the complicity of tech companies. And that begins to put us on track towards where I want to go uh, in this show. So let me just read you some of this. Again, this is on the playlist. You can go to WFMU.org, click playlist and comments, and you can read along or you can click through to the link to read the whole Guardian piece because uh, there's more, than, more there than what, what I have time to read you. Uh, Brandy Collins Dexter writes in The Guardian, Throughout history, we've seen how people defined as white react when they believe there is a threat to their way of life, whether KKK members running for school boards in the 1920s, or the resurgence of the Confederate flag in the 1950s. We see what happens when the conspirators are the people in power who perceive a loss of power. And then she goes on to talk about this quote-unquote great replacement theory, like I, uh, I mentioned to you before. And she says, replacement theory stems from Barack Obama's election and the toxic reactions to the first black president and what that meant for white people in the U.S., that, combined with the rise of big tech platforms and sites like Telegram and information overload online and data voids and context collapse that we see in pockets of the Internet where people are living in these petri dishes, the news cycle can't keep up. People can't keep up and we can't fully make sense of it. So there is, there is our connection point, friends, the, from the, the long history of anti-black racism and, and uh, anti-black violence in this, in this country. And we're not, I'm just talking about the U.S., not even talking about, you know, what happened in Christchurch or uh, it just, just, just in this country. The connection between that and, as she, po as she put it, the rise of big tech platforms, the rise of information overload. So what's happening there is she, she's not saying that the rise of Facebook directly led to a mass murder in a Buffalo supermarket. She's not saying that. But she is saying that the rise of the big tech platforms 
played a role, played an unavoidable role in, in setting the stage and creating an environment, a, a, a sick environment in this country that then allowed and even enabled. And I would say in some cases, maybe not in this particular massacre, but in some cases of, of racist violence in this country, uh, the big tech giants have actively encouraged that sort of activity. And so here's how it works. We have these big tech companies, the big tech companies, there are five that are usually um, I name and, and usually get named out there, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Microsoft. And of, of those five, um, three of those are really uh, engaged in what I call algorithmic amplification. That is to say, they have algorithms that serve up content based on engagement. Uh, particularly Google, which, uh, which initiated this model and really tried to perfect it in YouTube, and then Facebook and its newsfeed and its groups. Amazon is a late entrant to the game, but things like Twitch and its, uh, and its various surveillance platforms like uh, Amazon Ring, the, the surveillance uh, doorbell, and the various sur surveillance pucks that people have in their uh, kitchens, the Amazon Echo and, and all the Alexa devices, all those surveillance devices are getting in on the game of surveillance capitalism that, that fits into algorithmic amplification. But really, in, in past shows, I have talked about Google in, in terms of YouTube and Facebook in particular. Um, if, we, if you remember a few years ago, I quoted or I, I ran an excerpt of Andy Parker giving Senate testimony about a viral video of his daughter, Allison Parker, uh, getting murdered on live television. She was a TV news reporter in Virginia. She was murdered on live television. And the, the video of that went viral on Google, on YouTube, I should say, Google's YouTube. And years later, after many meetings with Google and YouTube leadership, uh, Andy Parker was unable to get any meaningful response from Google and YouTube leadership. Oh, we just can't do There's nothing. We're working very hard, but really that's all we can do, Mr. Parker. We're very sorry. We feel very sorry. And what he said in the Senate testimony is they're not sorry. They mean to be doing this. They have no intention of taking that video down. Why is that? I'm going to get to. <laughs> but there's, uh, there's Andy Parker. On the Facebook side... A couple of years ago, we talked about a Wall Street Journal uh, article, that just, a, just a bombshell of a Wall Street Journal article showing internal communications within Facebook leadership saying, hey, there are a lot of racist outcomes of our group's amplification feature where Facebook would say, hey, if you're interested in this group, how about you join these other groups? And the Facebook groups algorithm was sending people to more and more radical extremist groups into if someone showed any proclivity in this direction at all, it would start sending them to uh, overtly racist groups, in some cases, Nazi groups, so racist and anti-Semitic groups. And Facebook leadership knew that, and they reported it up to senior leadership. I believe it got up all the way up to Mark Zuckerberg. And the answer from the top of Facebook was, don't change a thing, baby. You're good just as you are. Never change. And so we have Google YouTube, which has made uh, some unknown amount of millions or billions of dollars from their algorithmic amplification, serving up snuff films like the death of Allison Parker. Facebook has made untold millions or billions from serving up people, uh, radicalization content, racist and anti-Semitic content in groups. And now we get to the... Uh, inability, apparently, of Facebook to remove the Christchurch uh, video or now the Buffalo supermarket video. And we see that there is a structural problem when the most powerful and rich and influential companies in the history of the world continue to say that they have no control over the content the, the severely damaging content on their service. There's nothing we can do. We're trying, we have, a, we have a working group set up and there's nothing we can do. Honestly, we're trying really hard. And as Brandy Collins Dexter says, that just fits into this long history 
that we have in this country. Now, the other thing that I want to bring up is that she brings up Petri dishes, okay? Now, the Petri dishes are, this is the next, the, the next link uh, that I have on the playlist is something also from The Guardian, uh, also from May 18. And the headline is, How 4chan's Toxic Culture Helped Radicalize Buffalo Shooting Suspect. Okay, so this is another, this is a separate component from the big tech firms that I was just talking about with their algorithmic amplification. 4chan, if you don't know, is spelled digit four. It's not spelled out F-O-U-R. It's a digit, it's numeral four, C-H-A-N. And it's basically a discussion board with no moderation, uh, no censorship, no filters, nothing. And it's been around for a long time. And that also, uh, it started, gosh, um, Christopher Poole started it about, I'm going to say, 10 or 15 years ago. I could look it up. But I believe originally it was a series of anime, you know, Japanese anime uh, discussion boards. And then it just grew and grew. And these days, although it's not exclusively uh, toxic and racist and anti-Semitic memes, that is a place people can go to for unfiltered content like that. And as The Guardian, uh, as the Guardian reports, there, there's 4chan and there's one that somehow is an al alternate to 4chan is called 8chan, eight, the, the numeral 8. And that is, if anything, even more toxic. I'm not sure how structurally it could be uh, any different from 4chan, but that's what I've heard, that there's a higher incidence of toxic and hateful content on 8chan. And here's what The Guardian writes about these so-called Petri dishes, that, as Brandy uh, uh, Collins-Dexter put it. Guardian writes, Besides Buffalo, both 4chan and 8chan have become politically significant forces in the U.S. Both boards helped form and foster QAnon, the right-wing myth uh, that has come up. And I've got to bookmark that because I want to say something about QAnon. The boards, 4chan and 8chan, played a central role in constructing the lie that the 2020 uh, presidential election was stolen and helped inspire the dead, deadly Capitol riot, I would say insurrection, on January 6, 2021. And so you have 4chan, which is playing a role in spreading QAnon, which is completely outrageous and just awful set of lies, which has somehow gained political currency in the U.S. And the, the bookmark I wanted to bring up is that QAnon came up recently in a recent show. You might remember when I spoke with Kelly Weil about her book Off the Edge um, back in February. And this, her book is about conspiracy theories with a focus on the flat earth conspiracy. And if you listened to that interview or you can go and listen to it after, after this hour, you'll hear that I, I asked Kelly Weil what if there's one culprit in bringing up these conspiracy videos, especially Flat Earth, what caused Flat Earth really to go viral? Because there was a moment, I forget what year it was, 2011 or something, when Flat Earth really took off. And she said, in a word, YouTube. It was Google's YouTube. And it was, a, it was somehow a change in Google's model in which they decided really to amplify anything that would make them money. And so QAnon, as it's being fostered in places like 4chan and 8chan, that's the sort of content that unless Google really gets a bad uh, bit of PR, if they don't get hammered by PR, they just amplify it because it, it supports the model. It supports the business model of Google. A lot of profits come from uh, Google's YouTube amplifying the worst possible content. And so what we have, you begin to see the pieces of the system. You have uh, uh, young men like this, this mass murderer in upstate New York who said uh, by his own admission that he started during the pandemic, started spending a lot of time on 4chan. And that's where he began to encounter a lot of the uh, racist and anti-Semitic material. There's a piece from uh, the LA Times from May 15. It's called A New Generation of White Supremacist Killer Shedding Blood with Internet Winks, Memes, and Live Streams. It's an interesting, if somewhat depressing look at where um, 
mass murders, what shape they're taking, since there seem to be a lot of them now these days. And here's what the LA Times writes on May 15. Now you have this new ironic world of killers, says J.J. McNabb, a fellow at George Washington University's program on extremism. Quote, it's a different world, just a constant flow of bad statistics, bad memes, bad lies about the people they want to hate. And then here's the bit that I uh, put in bold. The LA Times didn't bold this. I did. Uh, This is McNabb continuing. That's the 4chan way. You say things that are outrageous that you don't necessarily believe. And then over time, you come to believe them. And that, friends, is almost exactly what Kelly Weil reported in Off the Edge happened to the people as they began going down the rabbit hole on Google's YouTube, that at first they were just sort of mildly interested or amused by the flat earth idea. And as they went deeper and deeper, they began to believe it. And then they began joining the, if you can call it a community, the flat earth community, going to events. And you can see in parallel the kind of algorithmic amplification at work on Google's YouTube to radicalize and send people into conspiracy thinking, the same sort of thing happened to the mass murderer uh, on 4chan, going deeper and deeper into the material there until he was ready to uh, scrawl out this 180-page racist screed and pick up his gun. And so we have petri dishes like 4chan and 8chan. We have algorithmic amplification of uh, companies like Facebook and Google's YouTube, which are ready to spread viral videos of any sort, unless there's a big bit of PR blowback, they're going to be making money off of the videos of the mass murders, which is in fact what is happening on Facebook right now. Uh, And so let let me go now to this this footage of Rashad Robinson. Um, I want to thank listener Kev Licky for, for pointing me to this particular interview. In the, in the wake of uh, the Buffalo uh, massacre, Rashad Robinson was on a bunch of news shows, but this, I think, was his best interview. This is from Democracy Now! from uh, last Tuesday, May 17. It was hosted by Amy Goodman, who's the, the main host of Democracy Now!, And uh, this is Rashad Robinson, who's the president of Color of Change, which is uh, an advocacy uh, 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 organization, and which I link to on the playlist at WFMU.org. You can read more about it. I want to play this in three parts, if I can do this right. Um, Rashad starts, and this is this is lightly edited. You can click the link if you want to read the read the transcript or see the whole video. But Rashad is, uh, where I'm going to start, is where he's talking about the, the problem behind the Buffalo Massacre is the incentive structure inside the tech industry. This is what I was trying to get at with these business models. What is the incentive structure? And I thought Rashad Robinson had it exactly right. Here's what he said. Whole incentive structure, a whole profit incentive structure, which um, has um, both incentivized the type of uh, content and disinformation and hate-filled rhetoric that we see online. We have watched social media platforms refuse to deal with this because self-regulated companies are unregulated companies. I have went before Congress to try to push members of Congress to actually deal with the immunity that these platforms have over this type of content. And it's not simply about freedom of speech, Amy. This is about what they amplify. This is what they this is about the content that they serve up to users as they sign on. This is about all of the ways in which their product is designed in order to create um, people to have more time on these platforms, more engagement on these platforms, to be engaged in more hate-filled rhetoric. And we are seeing firsthand the impact of it. We should not have to go to billionaires to beg them to protect our civil rights. Our government should be doing the work to hold corporations accountable. And right now, they are not doing it. And this killer did not act alone. He is part of a larger network. And until we deal with the incentive structure, we will see more of this. Okay, again, that was Rashad Robinson, president of Color of Change on Democracy Now! 
from last Tuesday, May 17. Uh, that was hosted by Amy Goodman. And um, he th- that's the first of three bits of, of the interview that I want to play for you. As I said, I thought he stated it so well because uh, as he said at the very end, as as awful as the the white supremacist mass murderer is, as awful as his decisions were, he did not act alone. There is an incentive structure in American business, primarily the the, the tech industry, big tech companies like Facebook and Google that depend on algorithmic amplification. But he also goes on to mention cable companies and the structure of, of our uh, cable bills and you can read read the transcript for how he breaks it all down. But I think the, the important, what I'm trying to get at here in this first piece is he's bringing up that the killer did not act alone. There is an incentive structure that creates an environment to amplify the latent racism and white supremacy that, that is already there. It's, it serves to bring white supremacists together it serves to encourage them, enable them, and the companies in, in many cases are monetizing that. And Rashad Robinson correctly says, this is a problem that is not going to be solved by self-regulation. It's, it goes back to what I was saying uh, at the top of the show about cryptocurrency and, and my, my lack of optimism around the unregulated cryptocurrency market, if you can call it a market, uh, that we that we hope that magically these companies that have such a terrible track record and a lack of ethics in their in their dealings so far we hope that oh well tomorrow they'll decide to have ethics I would say the same thing times a hundred for these big tech companies do we really think do we really think that there's going to be any change due to self regulation based on Facebook and Google senior leadership waking up and saying gosh, I really like the incentive structure we have now that brings in billions of dollars. But you know what I've been thinking? It was that Buffalo shooting that really turned me around. I, we we got to change this model. It's just not going to happen, friends. We need government regulation. And I, I thought he had a nice turn of phrase there. We should not have to go to billionaires to beg, to beg them to protect our civil rights. Uh, so true. And yet often the... Uh, I, I, it feels to me like the billionaires would like us to go and look to them to be the authorities or the, or the saviors, the self-styled saviors of society, when in fact they are the last people we should be asking for help. We need to go and get some government regulation uh, to, to help put a stop to this. Because as he says, if we don't stop, if we don't make some kind of change, this is going to continue to happen. This, this Buffalo supermarket shooting was not the first, it's not the first white supremacist mass murder that we've seen in recent years. It's not the only one. There's going to be more with this incentive structure still in place. There's going to be more unless we make a change. All right, let's go on to uh, this, uh, continue with this color of change excerpt um, with, uh, uh, sorry, the Democracy Now! excerpt with color of change president Rashad Robinson. Here's the next bit I want to play for you. These platforms get to do it because they believe that they are protected. And in essence, they have been protected by a set of laws that actually give them, in some ways, immunity over being held accountable, liably, um, in all sorts of ways. And so until we actually deal with the incentive structures, until we create more accountability over the algorithms, and I know folks are wondering, like, this technology is so complicated. Well, we've had complicated things over time. And what folks should recognize as we think about sort of what does it mean to regulate these companies? What does it mean to hold these companies accountable? Our cars are not safe. Our seatbelts don't work because of the benevolence of the auto industry. They work because there is government infrastructure and regulation. And there are consequences when those things do not work, when standards are not met. Right now, folks can go out to Silicon Valley, call themselves engineers and build all sorts of things without any rules or regulations or accountability for what they build. And so right now, the technology that should be bringing us into the future and bringing us in together is dragging us into the past. 
And it's doing that not as an accident, but because we have a set of uh, rules or a lack of rules that are manufacturing all of the things that we're seeing. Okay, and that was part two that I want to play for you uh, from the uh, interview with Rashad Robinson on Democracy Now! from last Tuesday, May 17. Okay, in this, in this section, what Rashad, Rashad Robinson is saying is the companies, he said a few things, so let me, let me just unpack this. First, the big tech companies think they can get away with this. I mean, he's saying anyone who's paying attention to this situation knows the complicity Yes, indirectly, but the the complicity of the big of the big tech companies in what happened in Buffalo because they have set up the system to monetize it. Everyone knows that. That's a given. He's saying, but the companies, knowing this, think they can get away with it. In a sense, they think they can get away with murder because they have immunity. Now he doesn't go into details in this particular interview. But one of the pieces of, of legislation that, get, that actually does give these companies some immunity is something called Section 230. We've talked about it on past shows. This is from years ago uh, that the, uh, the legislation says that these companies, even though they're using algorithms, are going to be treated as common carriers, just like the phone company. And as the phone company is not liable for uh, something illegal that someone may say on a phone call, these tech companies are also not liable for whatever someone says that may be illegal or hate speech or whatever on, on their platforms. Which, if these companies were acting as the phone company only, might make more sense. But the fact is that Facebook and Google make their money from algorithmic amplification. They choose what to amplify. And you and I know what kinds of content they choose to amplify. It's whatever gets engagement and uh, hate speech is, is a part of that. So in essence, these, these companies, Facebook and Google, are not common carriers. Uh, they're, in fact, they're publishers. They are choosing what to amplify and what not to amplify, what to uh, uprank and what to downrank. They're choosing. They're doing it in an automated fashion with an algorithm, but they're publishing nonetheless. And so they should not have immunity. This is what happens when you give these companies immunity. So one of the things that we have to do as soon as we can, I'm, I'm sorry that it hasn't happened yet on a federal level, but we have to roll back Section 230 or change it dramatically. I don't know if it's a full rollback or it's a big amendment or something, but we, they, Section 230, as it is currently written, cannot stand. The other thing that Rashad Robinson said in that piece is the companies always claim it's too complicated. Who can do anything about this? This is what I was referring to before. Yes, the, the, the videos of the Christchurch uh, massacre are still online. The videos of Allison Parker's death are still online. The videos of uh, the Buffalo shooting are still online. But really, really, what can we do? We have tried so hard. Now, you go to these companies and you say, what can you do? And they say, well, we can fly you to Mars and we're working on life extension that may make death uh, a thing of the past, and we're creating these diseases, and we're going to try to bring Wi-Fi via balloon into the Sahara Desert, and you go, well, those are all interesting projects, but you know your core business of amplifying uh, videos. Do you mind taking down the videos of people getting shot? And they go, oh, we have no way of doing that. I haven't figured that one out yet. You want to go to Mars, though? We'd love to take you to Mars. It's ridiculous. Uh, and as Rashad Robinson said, this is the same sort of thing the auto industry said when Ralph Nader started advocating for seatbelts. They said, no, we can't put in seatbelts. That, that would be too hard. It would cut into our profit margins. No, it'll be, no one wants them anyway. They gave it excuse after excuse about not putting in seatbelts. What do you see in every car today? Seatbelts. Was it because of the the munificence of the auto industry? Was it because they woke up one day and decided to change their model, change the incentive structure? No, it was because of regulation. It was because of regulation that we have seatbelts. 
Robinson is bringing up exactly the right points. So let me play this, this third and final excerpt uh, from this uh, uh, interview with Rashad Robinson, president of Color of Change on uh, Democracy Now! from last Tuesday, May 17. We're not talking about here about whether or not someone should be able to post things that we may not like or we might find distasteful. What we are talking about is algorithmic amplification. We are talking about how these platforms put energy behind making some type of content travel because that type of content uh, creates um, more energy. So an example is on Facebook, um, if Facebook tomorrow decided that they were going to um, just make it so you spent more time looking at your friends and family, even if your friends and family are sometimes sharing things that are distasteful, that would diminish greatly the, the type of content that is hate-filled. But in fact, what they are incentivizing is um, you, us all being part of groups where people are arguing. Because, or, or if we see a piece of content and maybe engage in it, even if we don't join that group, it gets served up to us. And what we know is that this is all part of the larger scheme at these platforms to keep us on the platforms longer, to keep us engaged there longer, because it drives up their profits. Um, and they can do that because they don't um, actually have accountability. None of us should have to rely on Mark Zuckerberg or Twitch, which is owned by Amazon, or all of these companies to actually decide whether or not they're going to keep us safe and to balance that up against their growth and their profit, because they will always choose their growth and profit over our lives. Okay, that was Rashad Robinson, president of Color of Change, speaking on Democracy Now! last Tuesday, May 17, <clears throat> uh, interviewed by Amy Goodman. And I uh, have put a link to the whole episode of Democracy Now! on the playlist at WFMU.org. Click playlists and comments if you want to read through it. And again, thanks to Kev Licky for sending me that link. I, I wanted to play those excerpts because I thought Rashad Robinson stated the the various aspects of this problem uh, so well, and he 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 did it in a compact way. He brought up a lot of different issues, as we can hear. Uh, he brought up algorithmic amplification at the end, uh, using that phrase explicitly, which is of course the the major business model uh, of or the the driver of the business model of Facebook and Google within the YouTube unit, and. Um, and as he said, these companies are going to choose profit over our lives. No matter what kind of PR announcements they're always making, oh, we're so committed to social justice and we believe in all of these progressive values and this and that and the other, don't believe, don't believe it for a second. Just look at their track record. Look at what they're actually doing. Look at what they are uh, promising to, to fix. What are the problems that they have shown a real interest in solving. Now, when it comes to something like uh, a viral video, a snuff video, uh, or, or, or domestic terror video like what we had in, in Buffalo, what they're going to do is they're going to say, we're going to put more human moderators on it, meaning we're going to have more poorly paid, uh, disadvantaged, exploited third-party contractors who we pay through a contract agency. We, we pay... Uh, around minimum wage to watch beheadings, uh, beheading after beheading for eight hours a day. We're going to put more of those people on it. Uh, go back and listen to my interview with Sarah T. Roberts about commercial content moderators, about the, the fate of those people. This is not at all to criticize con commercial content moderators. This is just to say the system that Facebook is going to put in place is going to push, is going to try to push the responsibility for catching all the uh, instances of this video, they're going to try to push it out onto the third-party contractors. And by the way, it's important that commer um, commercial content moderators are in third-party contract firms, not part of Facebook regular, because then Facebook doesn't have to pay the mental health benefits that people often need after they are employed watching beheadings for eight hours a day, or shootings, or child abuse, or what have you. That is their job day after day after day, is to watch all of the garbage that gets posted on Facebook. 
And if it makes it through the human moderators, then it goes to the algorithm, which finds it's very engaging and then amplifies it so that there are many, many, many more copies of it floating around. So it's an endless, uh, it's an endless job for the moderators. But Facebook gets to say, look how, how, many, look, how, how many moderators we've, we have hired to take this on. Look at how broad our army of human moderation is. We have invested so many dollars and so many people and so many person hours on this problem. We're really taking this seriously. We're, we're really going after a solution. And all of that is a deflection of the truth, which is that, that the, the truth is this is not a human, it's not a problem of human moderation. What I keep saying and what Rashad Robinson said and what others, many others on our team have brought up again and again is that the problem at the heart of these companies is algorithmic amplification. These companies are acting as publishers. They are using their immunity from Section 230 in order to amplify the worst possible content they can find because that's what the algorithm finds gets the most engagement and thus makes the highest profit for the company. That's, that's the key uh, linchpin of the problem is the algorithm at the heart of these companies. So what do we think we should do if the algorithm keeps spreading hate? I don't know. Maybe we should put some more human moderators on it. Gosh, I wonder what the solution is to a business model that causes death that is driven by an algorithm. The answer is so obvious that Facebook and Google leadership can never bring themselves to say it out loud. Because to say it out loud would both be to reveal that they knew it all along because it's so simple and they, and they declined to tell us for years that they knew what it was. And to say it out loud would start a ball rolling that if it was implemented would finally and gloriously bring these companies to an end. Kill the algorithm. Kill the algorithm. Why are we allowing these companies to amplify hate and rage and death? Kill the algorithm. Or if you prefer, roll back section 230, turn them into the publishers that they are, and then see how libel, defamation, and hate speech laws apply to whatever comes up at the top of the trending list on Facebook and Google YouTube and in the groups feature on Facebook and then a news feed and even on Twitter. Twitter is algorithmically amplified as well. Roll back section 230, turn these companies into publishers and you will see them turn around on a dime. Also a dime is about as much money as these companies are gonna make when you turn them into publishers because these companies are based on amplifying hate and death and rage and poison. They depend on it. Sure, I know, I've heard it so many times. Well, I only use Facebook to, uh, to send wedding photos and baby photos and vacation photos. I don't, I don't do all that other stuff. And that may be true. That may be true. I'm, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying you're using a service that is being provided to you on the backs of exploited commercial content moderators and on the backs of exploited people who are featured in these snuff films, whether they're, they're full of death or abuse. These companies make their money amplifying the very, very worst of humanity. That's the business model. So what should we do? Ask a senior executive at Facebook or Google or Twitter, hey, what do you think about killing the algorithm, the recommendation algorithm? for Google videos or Facebook groups or, or, or the Twitter feed. And they'll say, oh, well, we, we don't want to do that, you know, because uh, it's the same thing with the seatbelts. They'll say, well, users, users don't want that. Uh, us users really prefer to have us serve it up for them automatically. And anyway, we're not publishers. We're just neutral platforms. Well, we're neutral with a, we're very interested in enthusiastic algorithm. But really, in the legal sense, we're neutral publishers. We're just a common carrier. They'll just send all of this deception your way without acknowledging what their business really is. So kill the algorithm. Roll back section 230. 
And there's one other thing we can do, and I'm out of time, but there's a really good, the best chance we've had in years at a bipartisan antitrust bill. Now, the antitrust bill does not get exactly at the amplification that Rashad Robinson and I are talking about, but it is something. It is something to begin to prune back on the power of these giants. And uh, you can see near the end of the playlist at WFMU.org, there's a piece in the Dallas Morning News that gave a good, there's a lot of coverage of this, but this was a good summary, an op-ed by Linda Harper-Brown, Dan Flynn, and Jody Laubenberg, Laubenberg, sorry, and it's called It's Time We Hold Big Tech Accountable. And they write in the, in the op-ed, one bill aimed at holding big tech, that is Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, accountable for their unrivaled market power is the bipartisan American Innovation and Choice Online Act, which would prevent big tech from abusing its gatekeeper status to stifle competition and empower our nation's adversaries. So what we have here is after many years of hammering together a bipartisan coalition, which is not, not very common in this country right now, uh, and for reasons I understand, but let's just go with it. It's a bipartisan bill. It's called the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. If you want to do a little activism, call your representatives in Congress, your senators, and say, please bring the American Innovation and Choice Online Act to a vote, and please vote for it. We need antitrust. We need antitrust against these big tech giants. That will be one step towards everything else we need to do to take them on. Uh, that's about all the time I have for this evening. I hope this has been informative and not too dark. Um, I, I thought, you know, it just feels like there's not enough being said about what happened in Buffalo and how it fits into the environment that big tech is, is creating for this society. We are in an exceedingly dangerous situation because of these companies. We need regulation. Thanks to Rashad Robinson for speaking the truth. And thank you for listening, friends, to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, you know exactly what to do. Avoid Amazon and Apple. Forget Facebook. And whatever you do, get off Google. Let's hear, let's go out to a song by uh, Dennis Young off of his new album called Voyager. It's a song called Paradigm Shift, and that, in fact, is what we need these days, isn't it, friends? A paradigm shift. Roll back section 230 and kill the algorithm and get off of the big tech services. Uh, and please stay, please stay tuned for DJ Arb and another great episode of The Arbitrarium coming up next. See you next week, everybody.
Welcome to the Arbitrarium, capital of the country of Arbsurdistan. I am your president, Arb. Oh no, here it is again. My mind is just drawn a blank. I've sat thought for hours and hours. I don't know what fits. Everything's puzzled. I'm confused. Oh, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've been places. I've talked to people. I've read books. I've watched the TV set for hours. And I can't think of anything. Nothing at all. I don't know. It's like my brain has shriveled up. Maybe, maybe too much psychedelics. I don't know. Maybe I have an eight nightmare. I flash back or something of a sort. Help me. I don't know what's happening. Everything around me seems so strange anymore. I can't think. I've tried. I've been on this for days. I can't think of anything. What's wrong? Tell me. Help. Get away. Thank <laughs> you. 
extravagant performance wedding. At one service, the star-struck couple ascended to the ceiling in a makeshift space capsule, trailing dry ice exhaust. Such elaborate ceremonies, think some observers, reflect the younger generation's rebellion against traditional reserve and modesty. The oldsters, however, recalling post-war poverty, enjoy flaunting their yen, notes Tokyoite Ben Tsuchiya, who assisted at his brother's recent wedding. If it is beautifully done, the wedding makes the parents look good and can even help in business because it impresses people. Many Japanese resist the intrusion of Western ways. The omiyai, or arranged marriage, still accounts for 60% of the country's matches. While these pairings formerly were taken care of by the couple's relatives,